Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. We're looking at Mark chapter 7 today, and Mark just continues to be such a delight uh, to be reading, just going through the gospel. But it's not just stories. We keep seeing that these stories, Mark has this way of telling you all kinds of stuff about the theology and a spiritual perspective. There's a whole sermon for for the Christian life underneath all the stories, the narratives of the real-life events. So it's really interesting so far, just the conversations we've had with the different pastors to draw those things out. And, and today in chapter 7, we've got a lot of, uh, of that going on as well, where you've got some healing, but you got to look at the kinds of healing uh, that's being done here. It's not just healing somebody and, and healing a deaf guy. What, what does that mean uh, as he's saying those things? But then you also, in chapter 7, you have a little bit of explicit teaching. And, and of course, the, the big one is this teaching where it seems to compare the teaching of Moses and the teaching of the Lord Jesus. So what's what's going on there? Um, is he saying that Moses doesn't count the Old Testament? You don't have to listen to the Old Testament anymore? Or is there something a little more nuanced? Uh, well, I mean, that's kind of a leading question. But <laughs> uh, joining us today, we've got Pastor David Spears, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Altamont, Illinois. Good morning, brother. I'm not sure we've had the, the privilege of uh, having you on so far. So good to, to, good to have you with us. Nice to meet uh, at least in terms of voice today. How are you, how are you doing? I'm doing real well. Thanks for having me on. I was, I had been on before with Pastor Whedon uh, uh, a number of times, uh, so of it's good to be back. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, I also, you know, I, I saw Altamont there, and I couldn't help but think to myself, Altamont, why does that sound familiar? And it's, uh, well, I mean, it probably is familiar for a few people because there's, I mean, there, how many LCMS churches we got there in Altamont? It's like <laughs> four. Uh, four. Yeah, so so there's there's a few LCMS churches there in that one city. But um, a really good friend of mine from uh, seminary was a pastor up there at one of the churches in Altamont, uh, Bernard Ross. You maybe? Yep, I know him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep, yep. I'm I'm so. I've been here about 25 years, 26 years so far. So uh, yeah, there are four four Missouri Synod Lutheran churches and 2,300 people in Altamont in the in the city itself. So, yeah. yeah, it's a unique it's, place. It's fairly, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. Well, and uh, I, very... and I think that I crossed, I, I think I, I, I think there's a guy over, out in California that I went to seminary with or was crossed paths in seminary. That's how you do things there. Sure. Uh, I don't know if you're related to him. I think you serve at the same church. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, there, there, are, um, there are two Alfonso Espinosas on the yes. LCMS roster, and they are yeah. closely related, uh, <laughs> and often confused for each other. So that's that's how that goes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good, excellent. Well, just a delight on multiple levels then to have you on, brother, and uh, especially because we're looking at Mark, and I just I love Mark. Mark is just so cool, and uh, chapter seven. Uh, it's one of the it's one of the few chapters in Mark where the Lord just kind of lays out teaching, right? I mean, so much of the teaching I feel like is implicit in Mark because it's just in the actions. But here you get you get a little bit of this very specific stuff here about uh, what what makes a person unclean and uh, the korban and the rest of it. 
Yes, yes, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, and and I think that you know, you if you look back, you I, I heard yesterday you were saying this is just kind of uh, uh, a furious kind of pace that, that that Mark keeps up. It's that word immediately, immediately, and yeah, yeah, and, uh, and a, so you you had almost a catalog of healings, and in chapter six you had you had uh, all these signs pointing to the fact that he he he's the prophet that Moses spoke about in Matthew 18 or in Deuteronomy 18, he, you know, and, and there he feeds the 5,000. And then he also walks on the water, doesn't, doesn't split the water, you know, and, and stuff. But I think there's all these signs that are going on that, uh, that, uh, that had been laid out there for the people of, uh, of Israel to look for, and then also to listen to him. And I think that was, you know, that's really important. So, Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. And that's um, and that's not even a level that we had considered. But um, but yeah, you could you could take the different things we saw in chapter six and make a comparison uh, to to Moses then, too. I mean, and that's part of the challenge, I think, in Mark is that uh, he's leaving this stuff out. And and you're like, well, what are you supposed to be making the comparison to Moses, David? Uh, You know, just the idea of being a king. Is it? A foreshadowing of the resurrection is it all of the above <laughs> so uh so yeah but that's kind of the fun of it too so it'll be it'll be cool to look at chapter seven when we get to the the last uh two little episodes the, these two different healings uh, try trying to puzzle out together so so what is that kind of getting at um even as it tells us what really happened but like what's it you know also saying so good stuff sure. today uh, so as we get started, would you open us up with a prayer for us and for everyone listening and for everyone out there? Sure. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Gracious Lord, Amen. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you this day uh, that we have an opportunity to uh, spend time at your feet, listen to your words, and watch your gracious love and mercy in action. We pray that you would bless our time together and bless the hearers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and read the whole thing through. And uh, that just as we've been seeing, it is um, just so often we do not get to hear the entire chapter read in one string um, since we break it down so often. But it helps us kind of uh, see some of the the overarching themes and patterns pop out. Um, and then we'll come back around and look at it in, in further detail. But before we read the whole chapter, anything to, I don't know, kind of be on the lookout for? Um, I, I, I think the, um, I think that there's going to be, um, 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 the conflict is going to be uh, that we see at the beginning of the, the chapter is going to be, uh, resolved. And then Jesus continues to go on with his ministry, but also contrasts what's lacking in the Jews. In, and we'll get into that with what he finds in the Syrophoenician woman, uh, especially, I think that's that's a very striking uh, that's a striking uh, event, and we can talk yeah. about that when we get there. Yeah, that's yeah, that, and, that, and that pattern actually might fit with the same kind of pattern we saw last time. So yeah, 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 that's good to keep in mind. All right, so here it is. Here's chapter seven of Mark in the English Standard Version from the top. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, 
that is unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is korban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to, him, and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went throughout, through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephtatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. 
And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. All right. So, yeah, you've got, uh, I, I I think you're right, that you've got this teaching, which is pretty squarely directed against uh, the Pharisees, the scribes from Jerusalem, and kind of generally the, the so-called tradition of the elders, as it's called in verse 3. Uh, you've got this, I, th- I think there is a contrast with that, and then you kind of have these, it seems like there's these miracle stories that are kind of like l- real-life demonstrations of what he's getting at. So I, I think you're right, and that's going to be really interesting to try to uh, piece together uh, a little bit, a little bit more uh, in a fine-tuned sort of way, but just in, initially, though, we got to start though with this conflict because we had a little bit of a respite between the conflict between the Lord and the Pharisees. Um, the, the most recent one was kind of implicitly the contrast with Herod, but uh, the Pharisees—they're back, right? And uh, they have yet another issue with the Lord and His disciples. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that um, what we do when we look at the Pharisees, and I think I think it'll become clearer as we go through this, especially when you run to uh, Isaiah 29 and then you know, the whole issue of the fourth commandment and Korban, the, the traditions they had there, um, is that it, it, what people do is they look at the Old Testament and they think, okay, this is what we're supposed to do. This is, you know, I'm sacrificing, I'm giving something. And, and in reality... Uh, anybody who approached God that way really did not, their hearts were not right. And and part of the reason was, is that God says in Psalm 50, the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Then when he scolds Mm -hmm. people, he says, I I don't want your sacrifices. I don't need, I don't eat bulls, goats, and all that other stuff. He, he, He basically reminds us that every sacrifice, everything that we would, um, you know, if you were running in the, the old Testament, everything we would bring to him is his. It, it, we're stewards, and we bring it to him. And just like that once for all sacrifice, we didn't we didn't buy him, we didn't bring him down, we didn't earn him. And so, uh, and 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 yet at the same time, then you get these these you know when when you when you lose Christ and you lose mm. and and everything begins to turn on what you do, self sanctification, both in the wide and the narrow sense. Then what I think happens is. Uh, you start you start looking for real small little issues, traditions, and you know how do you wash your hands and everything, and and and, and again it, it it you you begin to see the heart's focus is on okay what do I have to do, uh, Luther's famous question what do I have to do and you miss the point that in every of the, all of the sacrifices, the peace fellowship sin you know the, the the burnt offerings and stuff these were all gifts of God he said here. You take one of my animals, you kill it, you bleed it, you confess your sins, and then we declare peace, we rejoice, and that, so on. They're all done and pointing forward to the coming of Christ, this man who's standing in front of them. And so they had gotten so, so twisted around, so completely yeah. knotted up in their own traditions, uh, that they missed Christ. Uh, you know, he would weep over that. You know, you missed right. the day of your visitation. You didn't see Christ. And, of course, they, they didn't see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I, I noticed last you you mentioned John 6, or John the Baptist last time. So, Yep. 
Yeah, but that's right. And and I think I think you're spot on there that the the problem, I mean, it's not so much even that, you know, it's it's bad to have human traditions or something like that, right? Um right. It, it's that the the focus like you were saying is all wrong. It's it's really it's really a, it's really weird because it's like it's supposed to be a, a faith and a, or in a religion and, and a piety that's about God, and yet it's somehow actually all about the self now. And I think that's what the Lord's fundamentally getting at when He calls them hypocrites. And that's one of these words where you know it's <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunate. And I think we've talked about it a little bit, uh, but not not maybe in a little bit of time. But this this word hypocrites, right? It's not really translated out of the he, he, uh, Hebrew, <laughs> out of the Greek, as much as it is just kind of transliterated, right? Because the Greek word is just hypocrites. I mean, that's just that's just the word. Um, mm-hmm. But but the thing is, in English, I feel like at least the way it's used these days, it kind of means someone who fails to practice what they preach, right? Like someone who, like, oh well, they they talk about all this stuff, but then. You know, they, they tell their kid, "Oh, don't don't smoke, right?" But then they go and they like they smoke a pack a day or something like that, right? Uh, but that's that's not the, what the word means in the case of this context back here. Um, you know, two thousand years ago, here the word it's something like a, an actor. It's like someone who is trying to uh, you know convince people or or, or do something um, impressive so that they would win a, applause and acclaim. But the the point is right. It's on the self. You're you're doing all this stuff so you get noticed and you get attention, and so it's all about it's all about themselves. It's all about it, this whole korban thing, right? That we get into, right? It, it's not because they're they're trying we're trying to ultimately obey God or because we think it's uh, I don't know the temple is running out of funds or something like that. So it's really important that we you know give this stuff to the benefit of the people of God or something. It's like as you were saying, what do I need to do? And, and in that way, th- this is really applicable to us today because we so often are like this. We, we treat the Bible as a list of things that I am allowed to do, that I can do, and things that I cannot do, right? And things that I have to do. But we end up, we, we twist it and we make it all about ourselves instead of about God or our neighbor. Yeah, I think that they lost Christ out of the Old Testament and what's left is self. I mean that that is the that is the two religions in the world. And so in losing Christ they begin to, you know, you you could, you know, they're criticizing these these disciples because they they didn't wash their hands appropriately or in the proper way according to the tradition of the elders. And and the the, the point of the matter is is that they're actually challenging Jesus' authority. And, and and that's the irony. They're standing in front of God and saying, now we have a tradition, and God is, and, and, and what he's going to do is he's going to turn that. Uh, he's going to speak very, very um, firmly about them when he, when he quotes Isaiah 29. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, play actors, you're playing at religion, right, uh, right, you know, right. making it all about yourself. And, uh, and, and the, the notion is, that uh, um, that the uh, um, again they lost the point that it, and and I use this in the Old Testament. Um, people think all of these rules, you know, how you cut your beard, uh, you know, even we just read in Treasury of right. Daily Prayer the uh, the two boys, uh, Aaron's sons, played with their censers and they got killed. 
And you're thinking, wow, wait a minute, why? You know, and and then they're told over and over again, don't change, don't add something, don't subtract something, don't play with it. You know, you, you, the fear of God came into all those people. But I don't believe it was because God just wanted to see if they could keep the rules or if they would honor him by keeping rules, but because the whole of the, the, the right of the Old Testament was preaching Christ. And once you begin to put Amen. yourself in there, you miss Christ. Once you begin to, uh, you, you, you subtract from it or you add to it, which means you're, you're, you're imposing yourself. You're starting to miss Christ. You know, our sinful nature will always try to remove Christ or put a bit of ourselves into the mix because we have that, what's called the opinion legis, the desire to be a part and responsible for our salvation. So the play acting is all that's left. When you when you miss Christ in, in the Old Testament, even which was nothing more than a preaching of Christ, ultimately uh, I, I think the that, whole of the tabernacle. I think that, I think that's, that's that's right on that. Everything that they were doing was was uh, foreshadowing Christ, was giving glory to God. All it's like I mean, like we were just saying, the, the way that these miracles are actually kind of sermons that are given in action, right? Like you think of some of the things that, you know, the prophets did that like they would just do things that would just be living sermon illustrations, right? Um, in, in the same way, that was kind of like the entire system in the Old Testament, everything they did. I mean, I mean, down to like the colors and the number of stones that the high priest wore, right? Uh, down to you know the the way that the priests would conduct themselves, the shape and structure of the tabernacle and then the temple, all those things were were teaching. They they were pointing ahead. They were giving glory to God. And so when when you go and you mistreat the Old Testament and or the scriptures in general, and you make it all about this is a rule book of stuff I got to do or stuff I can't do or stuff. Hey, it doesn't say anything in here, so that means I can do it. Right? That, that's just completely the wrong attitude and so the thing is then you what what, what happens right then you then uh in, in the case here that the tradition of the elders is all about how do i make really really sure that i don't do any of the things that i'm not allowed to do and 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 how do i uh really then make sure that I, I don't know what, like all the things I am allowed to do, right? You know, that I know exactly what I can do and how far can I push it or right up to that line. We, we make it kind of all about uh, maximizing the things I'm allowed to do and making sure that I, that I don't like, make any missteps, which is just, yeah. it's, it's the wrong approach. We should be asking if this is all about teaching and if this is all about giving glory to God and if this is all about serving my neighbor, right? How do I interpret these things and apply these things to serve neighbor, give glory to God, point and teach to Christ all the more. Like that should be the question and the focus and not how can I get, how close can I get up to this line without crossing it? Well, and I think that the, you know, the quote from Isaiah is, those people honors me with their lips. They go through the motions, but their heart is far from me. And of course it, it, you know, again, when your heart can only be near to God through Christ, through the coming of the Messiah, the, the, the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. In vain do they worship me because they're not coming uh, in faith in Christ. They come uh, with their own con- construct. They've, they've completely lost this. And, and, of course, he says you lay aside uh, the commandment of men or commandment of God and you hold the tradition of men. In other words, you've, you, you, and this is a, a horribly difficult thing for him to say publicly to these people because 
this would completely humiliate them. Uh, this would completely humble them. And then he goes on in verse 9 and 10, and he says, you reject the commandment of God to keep you, that you may keep your tradition. So they've gone as far. He, he makes it very clear. You, you're talking about washing hands. I'm, ta- I'm talking about the law. Honor your father and yeah, mother. The Ten and, Commandments, and, yeah. Yes, and, and, and then in verse 13 he says, and you make the law, the word, of no effect. So what that means yeah. is you basically take away the power of the law to, to cause you to despair and give up on yourself. You, it, it, it no longer does it. No longer, second use is no longer there. You're no longer crushed. You don't see your need for a Savior, which is exactly the point sure. that sure. They're, you know, he's running into with them. They do not see their need for a Savior, and they, they are constructing this, this, this right, this, kind right. Of this whole idea, you know. So, and, well, and even and the we, notion of, of using the sacrifice for korban, which means I, I'm offering something so that I don't have to serve the the right, uh, my right. parents. But Jesus says, I, I didn't come to abdicate the law in Matthew 5. I've come That's to fulfill right. every bit of it. He doesn't break it apart like that. That's right. And we want to say a little bit more about Corban and about, the, it's so interesting, like you were saying, it, he's, he goes right to the commandments, right? We're not even talking right. about just obscure chapter of numbers, right? Uh, but we, So we want to take a little bit more time to talk about that. But first, we got to take our break here. Everybody, hang on. We're looking at Mark chapter 7 here on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. Jesus will stop at nothing to get your attention, to get you, grab hold of you. Even though he is the king of kings and the heir of all creation, he came to serve you. Though he holds the keys of death and hell in his hand, he gave himself to save you because you matter to him. Dr. Michael Ziegler, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. In many ways, St. Matthew Lutheran Church in Bel Air, Maryland is just like any other Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Church. They have worship services each Sunday and reach out to their community, but one thing they don't do is pay their electric bill. Hello, this is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. And if you want to hear what St. Matthew actually did to eliminate their electric bill, just visit interesttime.org. That's interesttime.org. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org.
Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Mark chapter 7 here. We're joined by our guest. We've got Pastor David Spears, pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Altamont, Illinois. We were just talking about this first part of Mark 7. We read the whole chapter, but we came back around uh, focusing on this part where he's specifically dealing with this issue of Korban and the fourth commandment here. Moses said, honor your father and your mother. Uh, But then the Lord says, but you are making void the word of God by your tradition. So uh, the the conflict with the Pharisees and the scribes is right back uh, where it was in chapter three. If you've got a question for me or for Pastor Spears, give us a call if you're listening live. 1-800-730-2727, 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. Also, you can send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. And uh, yeah, today we actually happen to have the Facebook stream up too, and that seems to be working okay. So you can send a comment or question that way as well, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. So, um, Oh, and before I forget to also, speaking of things on the internet, you should check out this cool website. It's called lhfmissions.org. That's the website of our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check out their their, their news out updates. They've got lots of stuff going on all over the world. Uh, Bible translation, catechism translations, um, missionary stuff, really cool conversion stories. So check that out, Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for underwriting. So uh, coming back around then. So yeah, brother, you were just starting to kind of get into a little bit about what what Corban actually uh, entails. And it's sort of like, I feel like the way that um, uh, it may may be a little bit of a closer analogy is it, is it sort of like if you take like a vow or something like that? Like if you take like a, you know, people think of like a vow of poverty or a vow of chastity or something like that, um, that, that, that happens today in the current like monastic system, but you do stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you uh, you're, you're called to live apart, and so you know if you take a vow of chastity, right? You're not expected to, um, you know, get married and take care of a family and all the rest, right? You're kind of like off the hook, um, off of that sort of obligation. Or if you take a vow of poverty, right? Um, well, you, you don't have to worry about, I suppose, you know, like having lots of money and investing it in the market responsibly or something like that. So, like, there's, there's these kinds of like religious things that if you take them on, you don't have to do other things. And so it, it seems like this this kind of Corban thing, it's like, well, if you do this, um, all, all the uh, stuff that you would have done for your parents uh, ends up effectively uh, being reserved to God in some sense, whatever exactly that practically looked like in the end. Um, but I think the Lord's point is, the thing is, guys, you guys are using this like a tax loophole now. You're like you're you're claiming korban on your tax return just so that you don't have to like do all this stuff for your parents, which is not at all why we would why God gave you any of this stuff. Yeah, I think that one of the things that we we understand as as Lutherans, and I think it's something I've grown more and more to appreciate over and over again, is the the notion that when you come to the means of grace, and that would have been the Old Testament sacrificial system, um, uh, as far as, you know, that's where these people still lived. When you come to that, it's not so that you offer to God something. That is a part of it in response. 
but it's actually that you are being sanctified. Uh, and, and, and God provides the lamb, God provides the sacrifice, God gives you his word. And, and, and instead of making you less apt to be a good neighbor or limiting your, your, your neighbors, it actually prepares you to, to be more integrated and full in your, in your sanctification, in your living, your Christian living, if you want to use that term, where, and, and I think at the end of the chapter, uh, there's one verse, because I, you know, I always wonder if we always are going to make it through all these things. He, uh-huh. The people say, he has done everything kalos, beautifully. Yeah. And the word beautiful goes back to the, to the I think it's related very much to, to, the, to, to that which is good. And I think everything is integrated. He's, he's putting things back together. Uh, and 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 healing things and that love that we should have for our parents, you, you know, there's there's no need to give it, you know, to to offer a sacrifice, uh, a vow to God, or or to give something to God and say, now I don't have to serve these people. That's the opposite of what God does. He he enables us to serve our neighbor with what we have, not necessarily saying, you know, you, you, you know, you, you, a a man has to leave his father and mother and and cling to his wife, but he still loves and honors his parents. Yeah. And and I think as I, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, you know, I feel like that that's really good. Um, it, It aligns well with, you know, just Luther's emphasis on vocation, just that idea that, you know, we're, we're applying the scriptures wrong. If we think, that basically, I mean, it's really difficult because I feel like the the, the modern Western sense is you you get to find yourself and and kind of choose your destiny and uh, you know or self made men and all the rest of that right and so a Christian way of doing that then is you kind of well you look at the Bible and you figure out what you can do and what you can't do but then once you kind of have that kind of mapped out well within that kind of room that territory that you've charted. Well, that's your wiggle room where you get to kind of do your thing, right? Well, no, that's just that's just not the Christian perspective. The Christian perspective is that God calls you into something, and and that's what you're supposed to do. Um, it's not that you get to choose, like you know, oh well, maybe I'll do this, and oh well, this is uh, you know, it's up to me. I, it's optional, right? Uh, there, there's nothing that's really left to like personal preference in the modern sense. Um, so, you know, this idea that, you know, you can like, oh, well, you know, I can either give this to my parents or I can do Corban. You know, it's, it's kind of, you know, whatever, whatever. It's my call. Again, it's just the wrong emphasis. It's a very like I, me, my self-interested thing. And I, and I think that that's why you, you, earlier you're saying just how just how direct and how scandalous this charge would have been. I mean, yeah. I, I think you're right. Going back to chapter three. I mean, you know, what, what do you say? Right. He confronted them about. Uh, essentially, the third commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by making it holy, right? He went out and said, hey, so what What, what can you do on the Sabbath? Um, what do you think, guys? Do good or uh, kill people, right? That That's what he's saying. He's saying you guys are effectively saying that, that the Sabbath is for killing people. You know, that was the last time he accused them. And here he is now challenging them on the fourth commandment, saying, like, you basically say uh, people should hate their parents, you know, you're, you're the people who are saying it, not me. So, I mean, it, it's just continuing a very strong series of accusations against the law themselves that you guys don't even understand the Ten Commandments, let alone uh, the minutia of stuff like Korban. Right. And I think when he when he follows up and explains this whole business, he, he basically he, he's telling the crowds and the disciples still don't get it. He's explaining that that. Um, 
it's 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 not what goes into you, but what comes out. The problem is your heart, and Corban is yep. an example of how your heart is 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 twisted and corrupt. How when yep. you pick on how people wash their hands as a you know this is a tradition that would disqualify Christ from being the Messiah. Um, you miss you miss you miss the point. Yep. Your heart is yeah. what needs to be healed and 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 renewed and restored. That's right. I, my uh, my daughter's favorite part of a morning prayer right now, um, at least the, the version that we follow, it's this uh, this Lutheran hymnal in Spanish, and uh, it's it's create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That idea, yeah. right? Set set in the Old Testament by David, right? That that the problem is the heart, right? And and, and like just like you were saying, sanctification is that process of God creating. A, a clean heart like he actually does it um and and so you're just you're just missing the point like you like you said so it, it, as you said earlier too um comparing it to matthew 5 it's not that the lord's saying like oh yeah so you know all the, all the rules okay forget about the rules just stick with the ten commandments no 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 he's not saying anything like that he's saying that hey guys you've been misinterpreting <laughs> the rules in the Ten Commandments that you just you were getting them wrong and you should keep them. But like, what does it actually mean to keep them? And so I think this is the question that we had just come in uh, over email that I kind of wanted to get to here really quick. So kind of just asking about this difference of uh, God's commands, um, you know, the idea of having a clean heart, uh, of following God in spirit and truth. Uh, versus traditions. So here's the questions. Uh, will our traditions around Christian fellowship, communion, and the Eucharist change? Are they now changing like the Jewish traditions changed because of the coronavirus pandemic now? All right. Well, that's maybe just a, a nice... Uh, okay. Well, I, so I think there's an applic- a second one that's kind of along the same lines here then. Um, is it proper to apply this verse um, as referring to uh, Ecclesiastes 3 to everything there is a time and a season? Um, is it proper to apply that verse then further, kind of along the lines of Mark 7, uh, to the understanding of Orthodox traditional Christian fellowship after the coronavirus? Will Orthodox traditional practices die? Oh, that's very dramatic. Um point there but yeah okay yeah so good good questions though thank you james for those questions yeah i uh i I think this has certainly been a time of reflection during the midst of of these things that it's making us ask ourselves um you know how much of these things are 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 traditions or just kind of the the business as usual way of doing things how much of these things are the things that no these are actually very essential things um and we, we now have the challenge of figuring out how on earth we're supposed to do that and remain faithful in the midst of different circumstances. So challenging questions, Pastor Spears. You want to uh, well, you could spend the rest of the time talking about it, but maybe just right, speak yeah. a little to it. <laughs> I'll just I'll just give you a, uh, my, I, I think if we look at the liturgy of the church, if we're thinking of traditions like the liturgy, which I think is is very much scriptural and it's scripture effectively. Yeah. 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 Uh, Daniel Price said at one point that you, you, you go to a page 15 or page 184 service and you hear the gospel like 25 times. And right. so there's there's an intention there. But but I think that uh, how we have to do things right now to keep people safe and stuff, that, I don't think that's going to completely change. They, the church has been through many pandemics, many, many yeah. plagues, you know, the, the, you know, the Black Plague and everything else. In fact, Luther has some interesting things to say about that. Uh, yeah. 
So I think it would be good if a person really wanted to read about that. Go back and read Luther as he describes, uh, you know, ministering during the plague. And then Walther, from what I understand, had two nervous breakdowns during cholera epidemics in St. Louis, that area. Hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of things that, you know, and they didn't even have the knowledge we did. So I think sometimes we think, well, something's got to change because, um, you know, somehow the, the externals. But I don't think the church has changed. Our, our liturgy, for instance, goes back to the you know, first and second centuries, you That's know, right. so bits and pieces of it. So, so I don't know that. We well, well, and of course, well, and of course, a, a lot of it. Come, just goes, I mean, you know, back further still. I mean, you just look at the Psalms, right? So much of our liturgy is just, you know, like the, like the piece I was just quoting from Morning Prayer, that's just from the Psalms. So you're talking about, you know, stuff that would have been said, you know, back in the temple or even the tabernacle. So, yeah, yeah, very ancient indeed. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate what you're saying, though. I mean, complex questions. Thank you again, James. Uh, but, yeah, just, you know, we're trying, trying to deal with it briefly so we can get to these uh, these two miracles here at the end. Yeah, I, I think it's been a time of reflection, but I think in the midst of this reflection, I think for me, I've, I've just seen that really maybe not nearly as much needs to change about the way we're doing things so much as it what needs to change is perhaps our attitude about things. Because uh, I, I think that I, I think that we're very used to government just kind of just saying like, yeah, you guys do whatever you want. You know, <laughs> uh, like a very nice, like kind of laissez-faire, very permissive attitude, right? Um, to to now, the government's like, you know what? Uh, these are the rules, and you know, we expect everyone to play by these rules. No special exemptions for anybody. Um, you know, at least that's kind of what we've been dealing with out in uh, California, for example. And and I, and I think that that has made us stop and think to ourselves, hmm. You know, like, have, have we kind of been taking that for granted? And, you know, how do we respond? And it's been, uh, for, for instance, at my congregation and uh, congregations around us, we're really kind of, it's taken us back to like, hey, what are the two kingdoms, right? What's the right relationship there? And, uh, you know, what, what is uh, the way you go forward? And so, you know, it's, I think, more than uh, changing traditions, I, I think for us, it's been just kind of a, a wake-up call and been like, hey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like, don't forget about this doctrine because it's extremely applicable to these times. So, uh, yeah, good, 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 good questions. Uh, don't want to leave out, though, the these two episodes. So the first one, the, the, the Syrophoenician woman's faith. This is interesting. It says there he, he goes away from there after saying these things. And he goes to Tyre and Sidon. Uh, so up north. Right. So this is up north. Um you know, Sidon would have been, you know, part of the Asher's inheritance, what he was supposed to get anyway. Um, never, well, maybe briefly for a time part of Sidon, right? But never never tire anyway. Um, so he's he goes up way north, which you're just thinking, well, why did he do that anyway? What's he what's he up to? Um, and then, like, on, on the way back down here, right, um, he encounters, it just explicitly says it, there is a Gentile woman. Right. Uh, And this is, I think, really fascinating to me, because back when we saw the man who was possessed in the Gerizines, right back in chapter five, I think it was. I think there's a lot of similarities here Um, there. There were lots of like hints that he's a Gentile. You know, there's like, uh, you know, he's hanging out in the tombs and the way that he talks, you know, most high God. Um, you know, the pigs, et cetera, right? Just the region of the Gerizines. But here it's just like, okay, guys, in case you missed it, this is actually a legit Gentile right here 
I'll even tell you it's she's Syrophoenician, right? So really, really Gentile. <laughs> um, and, and we just had this description of, hey, you know what? E- even, even the Lord knows there's something a little bit scandalous about doing anything for a Gentile woman. Um, but here he does it and he commends her. So, I mean, this is, this is really striking that after talking about what really makes clean or unclean, he goes and has this uh, exchange with uh, an unclean person. Yeah, and, and I think the interesting thing about it is just the people of Israel were to be a light. So they were to be, yeah. uh, you know, in the Old Testament and over again, God complains that you're causing the Gentiles to blaspheme me. In other words, you're, you're yeah. misrepresenting me in so many different ways. And, and so this woman, uh, from what we understand, heard uh, about Christ. And of course, there, you know, she was living in an area that would have been quite a mix of different peoples and stuff. So she heard those words, and her daughter was demon possessed. And so she's throwing up her hands. And, and, you know, God brings us to those points where we, we, we don't know where else to t- turn. It's called, you know, it's, it's called tentatio, that affliction. And, and so she's, she goes to, to, to ask Jesus, and it says, Jesus, uh, she kept asking him. It's an imperfect verb, and so she mm-hmm. kept asking. She was pestering him, and uh, that's like the unfortunate impor- widow, the widow who keeps pounding on yeah. the door at night. And uh, and you know he he basically answers. You know I've come to uh, you know to deal with the the, the Jews. Uh, I've come to deal with the lost sheep of the house of Israel, including what we just saw, the Pharisees who, and, and scribes who seem to be lost. And, and then she, uh, she, she gives this amazing answer, uh, and she understands her theology there because that's exactly how the structure was back then. The, the, the structure, everything was separated for the purpose of the coming of Christ. They weren't to intermarry, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they divorced and mm-hmm. all that other stuff. And then, you know, but, but there was still this, these, these people who, who were, were called, you know, through the Word, through faithful preaching of the Word, um, they were called to have faith in, in the God of Israel. And she, she right. does this. And then in Matthew, what I referenced before was Matthew fifteen twenty eight. Jesus says, great is your faith. There's only two people who, who are referred to as having great faith, and that was mm-hmm. the, the centurion, and, the, and they were both Gentiles. And yeah. He said both both of both of those times he says great is your faith which I think is is a very real he's, he, he, there's a desire of Jesus to call his people back to to true faith to a a heart they see their hearts as the problem they they let the law do its work and reveal the the problems in their heart and see that there's only one who can give them a new heart he he he'd said that you know I think in Ezekiel and Jeremiah but you know, in Psalm 51, you desire truth in the inward parts, um, creating me a clean heart, you mentioned. So I think that's what he's doing here. And I think it's just amazing because there is the contrast. And I think his disciples are the beneficiaries. They're watching this. They're listening to this. And in fact, he even kind of scolds them. Don't you understand? He wants them to understand. And then they see this and they go, wow, what does this mean? A good old Lutheran question, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that's right. Yeah, he so he's he's teaching, right? So he goes and he says this, right? You know, it's well, I mean, what's it say earlier, right? Thus he declared all foods clean. So that's kind of like Mark's, you know, kind of insertion, like, hey guys, this is this is what it implies, right? If he says this, yeah. right? Um, and so I, I think that by Mark even saying that, it's sort of a nod to 
kind of like the listeners of the Lord's statement being like, hang on a second. Did he say what we just think he said? Does that, does he really mean that? Right. I mean, does he really mean it's actually not about the, the details of the externals, but it's actually just what's on the inside? It's the heart. Does he really mean that? And then he goes and he finds a Syrophoenician woman. He's like, yeah, just so you all know, I really did mean it. Uh, I mean, which is, which is exactly like what happened earlier in Mark when he goes and he forgives the man and he restores his ability to walk. You know, he says, you know, your sins are forgiven. Everyone's like, hang on. Do you really seriously mean that? And he says, effectively, yeah, I really mean that. Here, here, look, he's healed. So, so the miracle goes, and he just, it just proves that he means what he says, and to what you, your point earlier, to his authority to say it. You know, that he has a greater authority than that of the, the Pharisees and the scribes, even from Jerusalem, you know, as, as, as learned and prestigious, right, and, and, and respected as they were. Uh, this one has greater authority to interpret, and his word is what's powerful. And, and that's one of the things I really think is, um, I, I think the ESV trans, translation of verse 29 is fine. You know, for this statement, you may go your way. Um, I think you kind of almost need to translate it that way. But in Greek, right, it says, for this word, you may yeah. go your way. It, it's yeah. actually the same thing that we were talking about in, in chapter four, right? So it's in that way, it's very similar to what, what he said uh, daughter, your faith has made you well, when faith is just, you know, what the word has produced. And here he's just saying, yeah, it's because of this word that your daughter's healed, you know, so so whatever it is, um, you know, in the exact situation in the externals or even the, the slight, you know, difference in verbiage here, at the end, it all goes back to this authoritative word, which, you know, we don't we don't even know. Again, it seems like she must have gotten it secondhand to your point about Israel being a light um, somehow through the Lord's disciples being sent out, perhaps. Uh, but but she got this word, and this word was not empty. Right, and I think that the, the, the beauty of it is, you know, that she, she, she clung to the word uh, and to the promise. She recognized Christ, but all in contrast to the Jews, who because of their, because they, they, had, they had missed the traditions, not the traditions, but the word, they missed Christ. Unfortunately, they they were they probably walked away really angry, and and they don't yeah. see the need that they they, they need to. That, that this is all aimed at, at hearts, and there's not one group of people who's better than the other, and the Pharisees right. are constantly playing that game. So so then I think then in the final episode, kind of going back to the heart, then it's interesting then that we have in the in the final episode here. Uh, a shift, it seems, to now we're talking about the the eyes and, or rather, the uh, the ears and, and the tongue, right? This guy, it says, it, it's a it's a two part situation here. He's deaf and he's got some kind of speech impediment. It says, um, I mean, later he's he's just called mute. So I mean, the, the bottom line is it, it practically disables him from communicating. However, exactly that works out. So he 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 basically can't talk and he basically can't hear. So he can't communicate, really, in any way. And so, so what are we going to do now? So it says here, he puts his fingers into his ears, and then after spitting, he touches his tongue. So he touches him on the tongue and on the ears, and then it says, very interestingly, in verse 35, his ears were opened, and that's where we get an Aramaic, um, and his tongue was released. So th this, this is really striking, the details here, how does this connect to this stuff about the heart? 
Well, I, I, I think that actually what I think is that we're, we're back to Jesus. Uh, the whole conflict is very serious, very hard. The disciples even get scolded. The woman is the contrast. And now Jesus is back into his ministry. That's what I think is going on. I think he's moving back in. And, and he's doing what he always does. And, and at verse 37, he does all things well, kalos, beautifully. I think they begin to see that this one is the Savior who comes to restore. And he's restoring this man so he can hear the, you know, obviously hearing the word is the way that the heart is is changed. It's, it's you know, it's the word that actually changes the heart and, 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 and uh, sanctifies the heart, gives us a new heart, a, a new mind, and, and stuff like that, yeah. and then en- enables the tongue to, to, to offer praise. Well, know, okay, I think it's because of that connection. Yeah? Well, as you're saying, I think that's the connection, right? The idea is that the heart enables the tongue, right? The heart enables the ears. I mean, we've seen that before, this idea that if you have a hard heart, then you can't hear, you can't receive Christ's word, right? If you if you don't have the the, the faith working uh, on uh, the faith produced by the word, then uh, the heart doesn't let the mouth confess. And, and I think that he you you mentioned uh, earlier, you know that quote. It, it is from Isaiah, and, and just think about that, right? These people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And then and of course, um, other parts of Isaiah, it, it, they also say that the, the servant is bl- uh, blind and deaf and even uh, mute. And and it says in verse 18, then of 29, uh, that's chapter 29 of Isaiah, in that day the deaf shall hear, right? So I think this is a strong, again, uh, juxtaposition against the Pharisees. Hey, look, guys, you think that this guy is deaf and mute. You guys are deaf and mute because of the heart. But because of the word, this guy is no longer. So, I mean, I I think it really just shows, like, just what you're saying. It's all about the heart and the word, not about the appearances. Yes. Yeah, not the externals. And this man could do nothing. Uh, He he couldn't hear. I mean, it's it's fascinating when you what what he he comes to hear. He comes to heal um, and uh, and open a tongue. He's preparing for heaven. Because that's right. Will, that's right. But we will be, we will be singing the hymns and giving thanks. <laughs> that's right. That's right. A, Amen. I love the word kalos there. So it's just it's just you know I'm stuck there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's it is the whole thing is just beautiful. Thank you so much, brother. Really good having you on. God bless your people out there and all the people out there in Altamont. Looking forward to having you on again real soon. Well, good. Thank you very much for having me and uh, uh, blessings uh, in the pandemic, the age of the pandemic. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor David Spears, St. Paul, Altamont, Illinois. Moving on next week to Mark 8. I'm Pastor A.G. Espinosa. Till then, peace. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.